Freedom doesn't need more cheerleaders shouting partisan slogans. It needs thoughtful, principled disciples of liberty. Deep down, we all know that freedom and liberty matter. This is where we discuss why they matter. It's time to elevate the discussion. Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to Loving Liberty. Ah. If I say we live in crazy times, would you nod your head thoughtfully? Yes, yes, indeed we do. Or would you think, nah, it's not so bad. In fact, Brian, things are getting better and life has never been as good or as satisfying as it is right this moment. There might be a few people who are that optimistic and, and whatever you're having, I'll have one of those too. That's, uh, that sounds great. But maybe I look at the news headlines a little too often and maybe that's what convinces me. We are, we are losing our minds as I mentioned yesterday, you know, it, it looks for all the world like the 2020 election cycle is shaping up to be a popularity contest between the racists versus the socialists. That's at least that's how the media is telling it. Now, in the real world, outside of all the spin, outside of the disinformation or propaganda, there's a lot of good things going on. But uh, but there are a lot of people who are I, I wasn't the one who coined this phrase, but uh, politically possessed. Do you know people who are just as as rational and good, decent folks, you know, the kind of people you'd want to hang out with or work with or whatever. But then politics comes up and they turn from Dr. Jekyll into something worse. (laughs) Sorry, it just seemed like a good example. So I saw this article yesterday on LewRockwell.com. And out of curiosity, I thought, okay, I got to take a look. The headline is 125 reasons you could end up in a lunatic asylum in the 19th century. Remember when we were politically incorrect enough, we didn't we didn't call it a mental health facility. It was the lunatic asylum. It's where people went when they were lunatics. But the reasons for admission into this particular one, this was the uh, Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in West Virginia. Operating between 1864 and 1889. You ready for some of the reasons here? (laughs) Okay, pull up a seat, because you're about to learn that uh, just about everybody you know would be in a lunatic asylum today if we still used these reasons to commit people for their own mental health. Reasons included laziness, egotism, disappointed love, female disease. Okay, that one does sound a little bit sexist. I'll, I'll, I'll admit. Mental excitement, cold, snuff. Greediness, imaginary female trouble, gathering in the head. I don't even know what that means. I'm going to have to Google it. Exposure and quackery, jealousy, religion. Really? Religion was a reason for putting somebody in the in lunatic asylum? Sorry, I was going to say the nut house, but that, that's even more politically incorrect. Asthma, masturbation, bad habits. Spouses used lunacy laws to rid themselves of their partners and in abducting their children. Now, the disease is attributed to those admitted to the hospital from its opening in 1864 through 1880 were varied. Most common was about 304 patients with chronic dementia, 254 with acute mania, 225 with melancholia, and 165 with chronic mania. I don't know the difference between acute and chronic, but uh, mania doesn't sound like much fun. Listings were given of the supposed causes of the diseases, and they were labeled supposed causes with physicians of the time feeling a little unease with them. 
but they still published them. Most common at Weston were the, uh, were the 359 who were not assigned a cause. And then there were those who were assigned heredity or epilepsy. 40 to 50 patients were each attributed to the following causes, intemperance, ill health, menstrual, traumatic injury, and masturbation. One honest man was listed with masturbation for 30 years. So let me go through this list here. I'm not going to give you the whole list, but I just want to go through a couple of these because, again, if we were to commit people to the lunatic asylum for the maladies that are listed here, there's a lot of folks, I think a lot of us would be in serious danger. And some of these make you wonder, what exactly did this mean? So intemperance and business trouble. I know what intemperance means. Isn't that right? Drinking to excess. Kicked in the head by a horse. It happens. Hereditary predisposition. Ill treatment by husband. So why isn't he the one being put in the asylum? Maybe, maybe, maybe he was. Imaginary female trouble, hysteria, immoral life. <laughs> I think a high percentage of politicians would likely be uh, sitting in, in, in the insane asylum for that. Uh, what else? Marriage and marriage of son. Again, there's got to be a story behind that one. Jealousy and religion. How about this? Medicine to prevent contraception or to prevent conception. Yeah, people freak out over, uh, you know, anti-abortion laws. But back then you'd go to the lunatic asylum for medicine to prevent conception. Uh, mental excitement. Oh, 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 novel reading. That could land you in the lunatic asylum. Overstudy of religion, overaction of the mind, nymphomania, opium habit, parents were cousins. <laughs> I know I'm resisting the urge to make a joke about certain southern states. We'll move on. Uh, how about this one? Um, periodical fits. Oh, 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 political excitement. That was a reason for admission to the lunatic asylum. By the way. And, and all joking aside, I'm saying this with as much seriousness and, and sincerity as I can muster. Following Donald Trump's election, my daughter was uh, working as a uh, she was working as what was she a CNA? I think anyway, she was uh, she was working in healthcare and providing assistance to people who needed, you know, assisted living skills. But she spent a lot of time, you know, taking them to and from doctor's appointments to and from the hospital. And I'm not joking. After Trump was elected, she said the number of people who were coming to the hospital where she lives complaining about uh, major mental crisis because he is in office. She said it was off the charts and, and, and people were seriously losing their minds or losing control of themselves over it. So I, it, it may sound like, you know, well, you shouldn't really joke about it. And I'm trying not to, but I'm just saying political excitement. I think that's a real thing. I think it is. You could also end up in the lunatic asylum for asthma, for bad company. That I don't understand because, frankly, they were one of the best bands of the 1970s. And I still love to listen whenever I hear one of their songs. Come on. What? Oh, it's something else. Okay. Uh, how about this? Bad whiskey. Huh. I don't know if that's just like rot gut or somebody, you know, got a hold of something that, you know, blinded them or whatever. Uh, congestion of brain. OK, this one's a sad one, but this landed people in the asylum. Death of sons in war. Think about that the next time someone glorifies how awesome war is. 
that really can land people in, in a very bad mental state. The death of their son. Desertion by husband. Uh, dissolute habits. Domestic affliction. Dropsy. I think that was another term for epilepsy, but I'm, but I'm not sure. Epileptic fits is listed on there as well. Um, excitement as officer. All right, I know a few people in law enforcement who might uh, benefit from a little cooling off time there in the asylum. We call them badge heavy, but uh, may- maybe that's not what it means. Uh, let's see, what else? Exposure and quackery. <laughs> Fever and jealousy. Fighting fire. Really? I mean, my next door neighbor's a fireman. I, he seems like a pretty down-to-earth guy. I, I, would, I would hate to see him end up in the, in, in the asylum for, for this reason. Uh, time of life. Also listed, the war. I don't know if that just means the Civil War or what. Uh, venereal excesses. Uterine derangement. That sounds like a term made up by guys. Uh, shooting of daughter. Okay, that's probably legit. Snuff eating for two years. Spinal irritation. Hard study. Salvation army. There's a number of, uh, of sexual one, sexual derangement, seduction and disappointment, self-abuse, or uh, disappo- dissipation of nerves. Anyway, I've given you a pretty good rundown of, of all these various things that could land you in the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. And I don't, as much as it sounds like I'm trying to make fun of this, I'm, I'm really not making fun of the fact that there were people who had some serious issues that landed them in a mental hospital. But I just look at the things that they considered, hey, this is bad enough that we, we need to put this person into a mental health facility. And I look at some of those things and think, we actually celebrate a lot of those things today. What's the difference? Is it because we're so enlightened? Is it because we've, uh, we've just advanced to the point that we recognize this is actually a strength? I don't know. I guess I'll I'll conclude by saying this. Everybody's going through something difficult. Everybody. I don't care how well their life is going. Um, Everything about this life is a test. So we could all stand to be just a little kinder to one another, a little more understanding. And and in all seriousness, if if you think you need some kind of mental health help or assistance, don't be ashamed to ask for it. It's okay to ask for help. back to loving liberty all right let's dive right in here to uh, some of the other topics today i'm going to talk a little bit about getting older but not before i talk about something that uh, may be a little bit surprising daisy luther the organic prepper very very uh, good rational writer i love her approach because she has a great deal of common sense but she also has uh, she has the knack of getting to the heart of important matters particularly as it applies to being self-reliant and being prepared. Now, see, I think these are good things just because, uh, as, as my friend Jim Phillips once said long ago, he said, if, if you are prepared, 
then when you encounter interesting times, and if you live long enough, you will encounter interesting times, then it becomes much more of an adventure than an ordeal. That always made sense to me. That that seemed like, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So, you know, yes, if, if you want to call me a prepper and think, well, he's one of them nutcases who's hunkered down with millions of bullets and band-aids and beans. No, no, I, li- I lead a pretty normal life, but... I also take pretty seriously the idea that uh, I, I really should be doing what I can to improve my position, not just in the case of an emergency, but in the here and now. Now, if that uh, means that I have something that resembles a small grocery store in my basement, then so be it. It just comes in handy. We need something. The neighbor needs something. Hey, do you guys have uh, any of this? Do you have a can of that? Do you have, you know, whatever? It's really nice to be able to say, yeah, hang on. And go grab something for them. Love it. Sometimes they're a little disturbed when they say, really, you have that? Because <laughs> asking for something kind of uh, off the wall. Yes, of course. I have a, a pedal-powered uh, axe sharpening wheel. Absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't everyone? But Daisy Luther is sounding a different kind of warning here. And this is one that, uh, you know, if you've been feeling smug as you've looked at the, the, the millennial generation coming up and going, well, pfft, these snowflakes, these people, so their faces stuck in their cell phones and they don't even, they never look up. They're not prepared for anything. Well, let me tell you one thing that may shock you, and that is Gen X is actually the generation in the most financial trouble. It's not the millennials. Now, this is of concern to me because I happen to be a member of Generation X. Daisy Luther says, you know, we all pick on the millennials these days, but a new study by Lending Tree shows that one that out of all the generations, it's Gen X is the one dealing with the deepest financial problems. So this may be one of those uh, moat in your eye, beam in my eye kind of uh, situations. But first, you need some definitions just so we're clear on the generations. OK, Gen Z or Centennials would be anybody born 1996 to current day. Millennials were born 1977 to 1995. Interestingly enough, I have, I have a couple of kids that are millennials and more kids who are Gen Z or centennials. I am part of Gen X, born 1965 to 1976. The baby boomers were 1946 to 1964. And the silent generation would be anybody born 1945 or before. Now, Daisy Luther says, we all know that two major financial mistakes are getting into debt and failing to have an emergency fund. So a recent study looked into the debt levels of each generation. Lending Tree, an online lending marketplace, did a study on the three-year changes in each generation's debt. Here's what they learned. As each generation moves into different stages of their personal and economic lives, the amounts and types of debt they carry shifts, too. We compared the debts of members of the four adult generations, millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers, and silence between March of 2016 and March of 2019 to see what happened or to see what's changed. Specifically, we calculated the changes in the average balance of each major debt category, personal loans, credit cards, auto loans, student loans, and mortgages, and the change in the percentage of each generation that carries each type of debt. Here were the key findings. Millennials saw the greatest spike in overall debt. Their total balances rose by an average of $16,714. That's about 29% between 2016 and 2019. 
Gen Xers now have the highest average debt burden of any generation. They increased their average debt burdens by about 10 percent or eleven thousand eight hundred ninety eight dollars between 2016 and 2019. Thanks to steady dollar increases across all debt categories. Older generations, including the boomers and the silence, are winding down their debt thanks to decreases in average mortgage balances. However, they've increased their average debt across all other categories. Boomers decreased their debt burdens by 7% or $10,424. Members of the silent generation dropped their overall debt by $9,486 or 8%. And here's where Daisy Luther asks the question, but what about Gen X? Why are they in so much trouble? Well, MarketWatch did an analysis on the ways that Gen X is financially wrecked, and it's not pretty. Now, Daisy Luther says, this is my generation, so I was especially interested in their analysis. So, my fellow Gen Xers, here's the sad news. Are you sitting down? Do you have someone to drive you home? All right. Gen Xers, we have the most credit card debt of anyone, yet we still spend more than anyone on non-essentials. Despite their sky-high credit card debt, Gen X spends big on non-essentials, according to data released in 2018 from finance site Bankrate.com. Indeed, Gen Xers, ages 38 to 53, spend $3,473 annually on restaurant food, prepared beverages, and lottery tickets. That's the most of any generation. Oh, wait, there's more good news. We're also woefully undersaved for retirement. Median retirement savings for Gen X is only $35,000. That's the same median amount as millennials, despite Gen Xers being much closer to retirement. According to a study of 3,000 Americans by Alliance Life, having just $35,000 in retirement savings, especially when you're a Gen Xer ages 37 to 51, is not even close to enough. Fidelity recommends that by age 40, you have three times your salary saved for retirement. Gen Xers may be so undersaved thanks to competing financial, financial demands rather of children and caring for aging parents. Their average debt now tops $150,000. So not only is their credit card debt high, the total amount of debt they have is also high. Those in the 35 to 44 age group have the highest debt levels of any age bracket, according to Smart Asset citing Federal Reserve data. By the way, Gen X is also more likely than other generations to say they can't meet their financial goals. All this debt and lack of savings may explain why fewer than one in three members of Gen X say they think they can reach their long-term financial goals. That's according to a survey released in 2017 by FICO. So if you're between the ages of 37 and 51, you can probably see this is not a very pretty picture. Now, what are the reasons behind this financial mess? Well, Daisy Luther says, reading over the data, the thing that jumps out at me is that people of my generation are at the point where they're taking care of everyone. Some still have kids at home. Others have adult kids who have returned home. We're often lending a helping hand to our adult children who are in college or trying to get their feet on the ground. Some of this generation are taking care of aging parents. It's pretty tough to save for retirement when you have all these people depending on you. Regarding the credit card debt, that one, she says, is a mystery to her. She says, well, I've used credit cards to fund medical care I couldn't fully pay for with my emergency fund. I rarely use them otherwise. It seems to me that it's essential to get this high interest debt under control immediately. And she actually has a link to a really good article about paying down debt fast. I'll link that in the show notes page on the podcast. 
Spending on non-essentials seems to be a problem, too. She says a lot of folks think that being on a budget means you can never have any fun. You can't travel. You can't go out to eat. So instead of creating a budget, they just throw caution to the wind and spend while they have money and complain when they don't. But she says, I'd never say that you can't travel, dine out, or do fun things. I do all of these and on a fairly tight budget. But I work it into my budget. I fund it with cash. And this comes after savings and all my other bills. She says the biggest concern she sees is that the money we Gen Xers are paying into Social Security right now is funding the retirements of baby boomers. The Social Security system's at a near breaking point right now. Most folks believe it won't even be there by the time we get to retirement age, much less for the millennials. All that money that's been taken from our paychecks our entire working life and none left when we need it. So if you think times are tight now, well, just wait till you're too old to work and there's no Social Security. Credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. You are listening to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. And I thank you for joining me. By the way, if you'd like to uh, jump in on the conversation, here's the opportunity. 801-331-8113. All right, so I'm talking about generations, and it looks like my generation is the one that is uh, really sucking wind when it comes to debt. Uh, I I wish I could say, well, I think that's an outlier because, why, everything is in order in my life. But can I be honest? I'm not looking forward to to Social Security. And I don't mean in the sense that living on Social Security, eating cat food and the like. I don't think it's going to be there. And and frankly, that's an attitude I've had for, I, I don't know, 20 or more years. There's no way. There's absolutely no way that there is going to be money left in the Social Security Fund by the time I reach retirement. So I'm not planning on it. I guess maybe I'm just, uh, you know, preemptively setting my disappointment out there. It's not going to be there, so I'm not going to count on it. Besides, have you not noticed that, uh, at least as far as our government goes, let's take the consumer debt question, you know, off the table for a moment. Does it seem likely that Congress anytime soon is going to suddenly find religion, so to speak, and curb its insatiable spending habits? Not bloody likely. I don't think it's going to happen. And frankly, if I I had an IRA or a 401k, I would be extremely concerned that that's the next big thing. Pension funds, you bet. When they can't borrow more money, what are we going to do? They're going to be looking around and they're going to do what leaders in European nations have done over the last, what would it be, last eight or nine years? Think of some of the countries like Greece and Cyprus and um, I'm trying to remember if Ireland was one of them. There have been a number of European countries that have just had serious, serious issues with their finances. Crises wouldn't be too strong a word to use to describe it. And in the case of Cyprus, certainly They went after people's retirement funds. Sorry, but we need this. Oh, look, here, we'll leave an IOU for you. We'll pay it back someday. I promise. So are you banking on politicians being able to uh, keep their promises? Even if they're planning on keeping their promises with Social Security funds. 
I think they're they're a slippery bunch. They're going to find some way. And and this is going to sound harsh, but over time, I've really come to believe that if it's not in your possession, if it's not something you can actually get your hands on, it's not really yours, or at least you you don't really have the ownership that you think you have. So all that money you have sitting in the bank, I know it's like, well, now, Brian, I've got a pretty hefty, you know, retirement fund. I have no doubt you do. But just remember, it exists in the form of numbers on a ledger or possibly in the form of just electrons on a computer. So if, if you don't have your hands on it, and I, I'm not suggesting, well, you should be stuffing your mattresses with cash and you should be keeping large amounts of precious metals on hand right there in your home. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying that people who look at this situation and realize, ooh, whether the government raids people's retirement funds or whether we just see a collapse of the dollar or there's a prolonged banking holiday declared because of some financial emergency or a long-term shutdown of electricity and people start panicking, where is that going to leave a lot of people? If all of your wealth is tied up in something that is virtual, I think the smart people are the ones who say, you know what? I'll take my chances with tangible assets, property, tools, seeds. Yes, we all have to eat. The person who has a greenhouse knows how to grow year round is going to be in a much better position than the person who's just like, oh, crap. Well, I hope they have a good uh, aid program <laughs> to bring me food. You know, Meals on Wheels has to go big time. I know I'm talking worst case scenario, and, and I apologize because I know it sounds kind of doomsdayish, But there's a reality here that none of us really wants to look at. And, and it's, it's a very multifaceted reality. The bad news isn't just, hey, government's going to come take your retirement money. That's only one possibility. There's other stuff that's been going on that's right under our noses. Easily verifiable. Has our government been debasing our currency through its monetary policy? Yes or no? If you don't know anything about monetary policy, it's tempting to say, well, they would never do that. Or they're here to make sure our money remains sound. Is that, what, is that what's happened, though? I mean, we've had the Federal Reserve banking system for what? About 106 years now? What's happened to the purchasing power of the dollar in that time. Can you buy today for a dollar what you could have bought in 1913? <laughs> you know the answer to this, right? I find myself a little bit shocked just because when, when somebody says, well, you know, uh, we look back at what you could have bought in the 80s for this amount of money or adjusted dollars for inflation. And I realize, crap, inflation's taken a big bite out of the purchasing power of our money just in my lifetime, just in the time that I've been an adult and paying attention, or at least trying to pay attention. So I know people who have said, well, if, if we're looking at some kind of monetary upheaval, and I think it's inevitable when you're dealing with fiat currency, currency that is not backed by anything with value, at some point it's going to be worth nothing. It's going to be the equivalent of those German Deutschmarks that people carried around in by the wheelbarrow load, hoping to find a loaf of bread to buy. And if they left that wheelbarrow full of Deutschmarks unattended, they'd come out and find the Deutschmarks in a pile on the ground, and somebody took the wheelbarrow because it was at least useful. 
which is kind of an interesting lesson in and of itself. What is useful? Well, I mentioned it before, property. Maybe you have, uh, you know, housing or rental housing. People need a roof over their heads. Tools. Here's one that we sometimes overlook. Skills. I guess all I'm asking you to consider is this. I'm not a financial advisor. I mean, if you looked at my finances, you'd say, you're dang right you're not. (laughs) What's your problem, man? But I do understand a couple of things, even if I'm failing to, to live up to them perfectly. One is that wealth is not the tally of numbers of what it says is in your retirement account or your bank account or even, you know, the, you know, sum, uh, summing up, you know, your uh, net worth. What is everything you have worth and what are your liabilities? OK, here's here's your wealth. Nope. Wealth is what remains when your cash flow stops. In other words, what do you own? For a lot of people, you know, well, I got my cars, I got my house. Okay, but if you stop paying, what happens? Is the bank going to foreclose? Is the uh, automotive company or whoever's holding the the note on your car, they're going to come and and repossess that vehicle? I know it's a painful truth to consider, but the bottom line is, if your cash flow stops and somebody comes and takes away what you have not yet paid for, you don't own it. Now, I can hear you thinking, Brian, by that reasoning, all of us would, would be driving older cars, you know, <laughs> that, that are not nearly as flashy and sexy and as dignified as what we deserve to be driving. Well, I know people who are in exactly that situation. They're a lot like you and me, except for one thing. They have no debt. And it takes Discipline. It takes real effort for them to, to understand the difference between needs and wants. But I've seen it happen with my own eyes. And here's the good news. If, if it's something that, that resonates with you and you think, well, okay, I need, to, I need to act on this. There are any number of good programs out there. Um, having gone through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, if you need the structure, and I'm one of those people who kind of needs, how would, how would I go about this? That's a pretty tough one to beat. You can say whatever you want about Dave Ramsey, but um, as far as, well, it's just, you know, a big commercial thing. He's just trying to get rich on it. Okay, whether he's getting rich or not is not my concern. My concern is, does it work? Have people managed to pay off their debt and become debt-free by following the plan that he has laid out for them? And if the answer is yes, then why should you care if he's making money on it? I mean, is, it, is he providing something of value for those people or not? And if the answer is yes, why would you begrudge him from reaping the reward for providing that value? Don't let a little petty envy or a little petty jealousy blind you to the idea that there are some very viable ways out there. Dave Ramsey's not the only one, but I do have some personal knowledge of his approach, and it's really good. And I, I one of the things I like about it is... It's not just based strictly on material thinking. He takes an approach that actually brings God into the picture. And you may think I'm weird for saying this, but when you start to look at things with that, that bigger picture approach, that broader approach that says, hey, look, God created the universe. Everything in the universe belongs to God. We may get to borrow it for a little while, but ultimately it's his. It changes the way we think about money. 
including whatever money may flow through our hands or into our lives. All right, we'll take a quick break. Going to talk about getting old when we come back. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. 801-331-8113 is my number. All right. It, it occurs to me that I may be sounding a little bit old and crotchety this morning. It's Friday. After all, it's been a long week. Got a lot to do. There's a lot getting on my nerves. You kids, frankly, are bugging me. I'm just kidding. It's But, but I am getting up there. And uh, I, I was actually telling my friend Suzanne Sherman yesterday about uh, Joseph Sobran. And, and I was a little bit shocked because I asked her, have you, you ever heard about Joseph Sobran? And, and you know, I, I consider Suzanne to be one of the better informed people that I know. And I still do. But I was absolutely shocked when she said, nah, I haven't heard of him. Because for, for me, Joe Sobran, he passed away back in 2010. And I think it was from complications uh, due to diabetes. But he was an incomparable writer and thinker. Uh, humorous, but just laser sharp. And and one thing I liked about him was there was a gentleness to his writing. I mean, he could make his point in a way that it was like, wow, <laughs> good luck, you know, trying to refute that. But he did it with uh, diplomacy and he did it with class. And there was something I loved about his uh, material. And it, it was that in every essay that he wrote, and he was a syndicated columnist for years and years, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of his essays available. Um, if you look online, you can find them. In fact, I'm going to link to a, an archive in the show notes. You can check it out for yourself. But in every single one of his essays, you will find at least one just absolute gem of truth. And I mean, it's just, it's a way of stating something in a way that you haven't thought of before. I don't know how to, I don't even know how to describe it other than I, I had a friend tell me once, you know, and, and this friend was complimenting me, but he might as well have been complimenting Joe Sobran. He said, the thing I like about you, Brian, is he says, you help me to see the world because you look at it from just a slightly different angle. And that's how Joe Sobran approached things as well. And, and so when, when I recommend him as a good source of being informed, some of the essays, of course, are going to be dated because he's talking about things that were happening back in the 80s and in the 90s uh, during the Clinton presidency, which, by the way, was when he really shone and, and was this voice of rationality and reason. But every so often, Sobran would also just be human. And this is one of those essays where, where he succeeded beyond... Um, beyond compare it's called getting up there and he says this was first published back actually in uh, october of uh, 2006 he goes in a departure from my usual practice this column contains adult material now he says as a rule that expression means stuff chiefly of interest to adolescent males in this case it really refers to adults meaning it may not be suitable for readers under the age of 50 the late Meg Greenfield of the Washington Post once wrote a hilarious essay on aging. She noted that when she turned 50, younger people would try to console her by saying, oh, that's not old. Her comment, it is death to hear. <laughs> he says, amen. Having turned 60 this year, I get the same consolation all the time. I know what Meg meant. The harder people try to deny that you're old, the old, older you feel. It's about as reassuring as someone volunteering. I hardly noticed your goiter. 
In his charming autobiography, Bob Dylan comments that he never really understood the generation he was supposed to be the voice of. Well, Sobrand says, I never understood it either, and I'm glad to know he felt the same way. But now that we baby boomers are getting up there, we need spokesmen less modest than Bob, who is still singing love songs. We need grouchy old guys such as myself. He says, getting old is like adolescence in reverse. Your body keeps giving you surprises again, but they're not much fun this time. Organs you used to take for granted cease to function quite as well, causing you inconvenience, discomfort, and embarrassment. Nobody has ever prepared you for all the things aging entails. So Brent says, you find yourself preoccupied with things you didn't have to think about when you were young, such as health and, oh, burial plots. You go to the doctor a lot. You catch yourself boring people with your infirmities and operations the same way your old aunts used to do, causing you to try to suppress yawns and tactfully change the subject. That's very sad, Aunt Louise. Say, did you watch the Tigers game last night? But he says the most shocking thing about getting old is that it's happening to, of all people, you. You've always known that old people forget things and repeat themselves a lot, but you... Now your kids keep telling you in a tone somewhere between pity and impatience. You already said that, Dad. (laughs) Although when you imagined yourself getting old, you knew your body might fail. You assumed your mind would still continue to be the same lucid instrument it always had been. Your personality wouldn't change. How could it? Except in a few superficial details, you would still be you. The idea of you with a different mind, if it ever had occurred to you, would have seemed a contradiction in terms, sort of like a personality transplant. Now, he says, not that there aren't some advantages to aging. For instance, he says, after my ankle surgery last year, I discovered that using a cane caused young people to treat me with courtesy and veneration. They called me sir and held doors open for me. So I've kept using the cane, even though the foot has healed. It's a nice prop. It doesn't attract young women, but it drives the the more mature chicks wild. He says, I can't wait to get my walker. I'll have to beat them off with my cane. Of course, as you age, one of the biggest changes in life is that every day you have to eat your weight in pills. Doctor's orders. Keeping track of them all is hard enough, but they also come with warnings like side effects may include loss of appetite, dizziness, diarrhea, erectile dysfunction, cancer of the esophagus, and Lou Gehrig's disease. What? No Alzheimer's? After reading all these cautions, he says you may wonder if just jumping off your roof may have fewer adverse consequences. Unless you want to take even more pills to deal with the side effects, you may finally just decide to... Take some Alka-Seltzer and hope for the best. But he says, at least you're not alone. Old friends whom you've known from your youth are going through the same thing. You make rueful jokes about it. The wee hours have become the wee-wee hours. And you compare notes on products, mostly from the drugstore. Products you never thought you'd need. He says, getting old is is like adolescence in reverse. Your body keeps... Wait, I already said that, didn't I? (laughs) A lot of truth in there. In fact, it scares me a little bit how much, uh, how much that truth resonates and how much I look around and go, it's, it's happening. See, I, I look at this Facebook aging app, and this is what Sobrand's column makes me think of. You know, every one of us, I think, who, who had our picture run through that face app was just a little bit shocked at what we might look like. And I mean, I've seen the filters on Snapchat before, you know, oh, this one makes me look like a puppy and this one makes me look like a turtle. and This switches my face and makes it female, you know, whatever. But I've never seen the kind of detail 
that this face app and its artificial intelligence were able to come up with. And when, when my daughter sent me the picture of myself that she had run through the app, holy cow. I mean, on the one hand, I looked a little bit like a distinguished author. At least I want to think I look like a distinguished author would look. On the other hand, a friend told me, hey, you'd make a great prospector. So somewhere in between author and prospector is probably where the truth lies. But man, it looks real. Real enough that it really freaked people out. They thought that I had gone through some horrible trauma. I just tell them, no, I've worked in radio for years. <laughs> this is just a cumulative effect. Maybe what set it in motion, that, that premature aging was uh, one too many trips to the DMV. I don't know. Something else that has come out of this, this face app is, have, have you noticed how there's a lot of breathless warning us about, well, now, be careful. The Russians may have access to all of your images now, and they may have, you know, with uh, this irrevocable um, permission that you signed away, that they can use it for whatever. And the only thing I can think, because I'm, I'm just that kind of person, is why do I care what the Russians are doing? Well, but Brian, don't you know it's the Russians? They're, they're the cause of all this. Really? These Russians you're talking about, are they, are they in the room with us right now? I just, I'm sorry, but I have to ask. I don't want to sound like, uh, like a bad person, but I'm sure some people will take this as, man, you're a bad person. But I am so much less concerned about what the Russians may do because now they know how to recognize my face. That doesn't bother me. If you want to know where my real concerns lie, it lies with my own government, which spies on me relentlessly, gobbles up every bit of electronic information it can, and doesn't even apologize. And it knows where I live, and it knows how to freeze my bank accounts, and it threatens me if I don't do exactly what it says. To be honest, the Russians have been pretty good about just leaving me alone. Caller, you got about 40 seconds. Go. Yeah, this is Sam calling. I would just simply say this, and that is that uh, you don't have to feel old. I've been doing a lot of research uh, <laughs> into a, a lot of uh, things you can do. I, I think part of the reason that we feel so old is our food supply and the quality of the food we eat. It's like putting uh, bad gasoline in a car. If you put bad gas in a car, the car's not going to run very well. I think that's a good analogy. Well, Sam, listen, I'm sorry, we're, we're out of time. If you want, call, call back in the next hour. Great to hear from you. All right, got to take a break. There's news to be had. Don't stress about your face being uh, in the possession of the Russians. Seriously, what are they going to do with it? Meddle with an election or something? Ha! Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.